Did you find your way to Judges 13? If you didn't bring a Bible, you might find one under the seat in front of you and love to have you read along, page 293 in that Bible. Tonight we're going to look at the life of Samson. And Samson is a very complicated character. It's a very complicated life. And it's actually a very tragic life because there's tremendous potential that goes absolutely wasted. So let's uh, pray before we begin. Father, as we consider the life of a man who knew you, the life of a man who was so blessed by you, And yet a man who failed. Lord, may it be a warning to us. May we be those who choose a different path than the one Samson chose. And Lord, make us aware of how easy it is to be deceived. We certainly want to live to our fullest potential as your people. Bless this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The life of Samson warns us very clearly that a good beginning doesn't guarantee a good ending. If a person starts well, that will not guarantee that that person is going to end well. And really, the way a person ends is more important than the way a person begins. King Solomon said, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. And so it's great to start well, but we also need to finish well. To end well. And I want you to know that Samson had an amazing beginning. Samson had so much going for him. God had such big plans for him. And I want you to notice how he began. Look at verse 1 of Judges chapter 13. It says, And again the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Once again, we read those tragic words that the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. This is the 12th repeat of the sin cycle that you see in the book of Judges. Israel forsakes the Lord. They involve themselves in idolatry. God delivers his people over into the hands of the Philistines. And they will suffer greatly under the Philistines. But God in his grace will raise up a deliverer. Look at verse 2. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but... You shall conceive and bear a son. 
Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So we have this married couple, Manoah and his wife, who is unnamed. They are from the tribe of Dan. They live in the city of Zorah, which is right on the border of Philistine territory. So they lived in constant fear of the Philistines. And this couple has been struggling with infertility for years. She's barren. She has not been able to have any children. But then a miracle. The angel of the Lord comes to her and says, listen, you're going to bear a son. And your son is destined for greatness. I have big plans for your son. He's going to be a deliverer. He's going to be, again, the task of delivering my people from the Philistines. And your son is very special. Your son is going to be a Nazarite to God from birth for his whole life. That means that he's going to have to be a very disciplined man. And he even tells the mom here, you need to be disciplined while you're carrying him in your womb. You're carrying a Nazarite in your womb. So there's the promise, and when God makes a promise, he keeps the promise. So she is able to conceive, and she bears a son. I want you to skip down to verse 24 of chapter 13. It says, So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. Okay, I want you to see how much Samson had going for him right here at the beginning. Number one, he knew that he was destined for greatness. He knew that God had big plans for him. Certainly his parents told him about his miracle birth. Certainly his parents would have told him about the angel of the Lord and what he prophesied over his life. Great things for Samson. Now, as parents, we hope and pray for great things for our kids, don't we? We even tell our kids, you could be president one day, right? And we certainly hope that's true, that God does great things with our kids. In this case, they knew God had great plans. For Samson. Samson would have known. And he should have known the responsibility that comes along with that. So he knew that he was destined for a great task from the Lord. And by the way, the parents named him accordingly. What does Samson mean? Samson means like the sun. S-U-N, the sun man, sunny, if you will. You could call Samson sunny. 
And that is exactly what he was meant to be. He was going to be a light. He was going to be sunlight to a very dark world. So he knew that. Secondly, he was also born and raised in a wonderful family. Good, godly home. By all implications, his parents loved the Lord. They followed the Lord, and no doubt they trained up Samson in the ways of the Lord. That's always a great blessing when you come from a great family. Samson had that going for him. Third, Samson experienced the supernatural blessing of God upon his life. Look what it says in verse 24. The child grew and the Lord, what? Blessed him. Understand, at every stage of his development, in all of those formidable years while he's growing up, the smile of God was upon him. God poured abundant blessing upon him. He had that. And then fourth, he had the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He experienced the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Verse 25 says, the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. Here's a young man who knew the power of the spirit of God upon his life. Now, you're going to see in the story of Samson that whenever the Holy Spirit came upon him, Samson was given supernatural physical strength. He was able to do these incredible physical feats by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, come on. When you think of Samson, what do you picture? A muscle head, don't you? A big burly guy, right? The Incredible Hulk, Arnold. I'll admit to you, when I think of Samson, I think of Fabio. (laughs) That big guy with the muscles and the beautiful hair, right? And you think, he was so strong because he was so muscular. No, he was not strong because he was muscular. He was strong. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, he was probably an average guy with an average build. Because in the story, the Philistines are always trying to figure out what makes this guy so strong. What's the secret? What's the source of his strength? It wasn't his physique. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to just think about that just for a moment. He knew he was destined for greatness. He had the blessing of God. He grew up in a wonderful home. And he had the power of the Holy Spirit upon him. You would think that he would be the clearest thinking, cleanest living judge in all of the book of Judges. And yet, as it turns out, he would be the biggest failure of all the judges. Blessed with so much. Now, the text says that he was to be a Nazarite to God from the womb for his whole life. That term Nazarite comes from a Hebrew word that means to separate. 
to consecrate. So he was to be consecrated and separated unto the Lord in a very special way for his whole life. Now, we know that many people would sometimes take the vow of a Nazarite. A lot of the guys would do this, but it was only temporary. They'd do it for a six-month period of time or maybe a year at the most. Samson was to be a Nazarite for his whole life. And three rules. Three very clear, important rules for a Nazarite. Number one, no alcohol. No wine. No strong drink. In fact, Nazarites weren't even supposed to get near grapes. They were to be completely away from that. Number two, a Nazarite was not to eat anything unclean. Nothing non-kosher. No food that had become unclean in any possible way. A Nazarite was not supposed to take of any of that. And we also know from Numbers chapter 6 that Nazarites were to stay away from carcasses, dead bodies that would make them unclean. And then number three, the clearest rule of the Nazarite, the one you probably know the best, don't cut the hair. Nazarites were not to cut the hair. They were to let the hair grow long. Now, specifically, they were not to allow their heads to get shaved. Okay? So they could be trimmed, and Nazarites usually had long hair, and Samson probably did, but he was not to have it shaved. Now, again, people think of Samson that the source of his strength was his long hair. It wasn't. Don't let your teenagers say, I'll be strong like Samson if you let me have long hair. There's no connection there at all. The long hair, the abstaining from wine, the abstaining from anything that was unclean, was symbolic of his consecration unto the Lord. The long hair didn't make him strong. His consecration to the Lord made him strong. Okay, pretty simple. Samson, I got huge plans for you. Discipline yourself. Take note of this vow. Be very careful that you do that. He didn't. The sad story of Samson is that he didn't take any of that stuff serious at all. He ignored it all. Instead of seeking a life of holiness, Samson became a worldly man, a carnal man, a fleshly man. In fact, he didn't look like the Incredible Hulk physically, but he acted like the Incredible Hulk spiritually, intellectually. And he would squander all of that away. Let's look at the foolish decisions and choices that this man made. 
Look at verse 1 of chapter 14. It says, Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren? Or among all my people, that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines. And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Weakness number one, failure number one for Samson, sexual immorality. This guy had an unbridled lust for women. This is woman number one of three that we know about. This man did not control his sexual desires and passions. In fact, verse 1 says, Samson went down and saw a woman. Scholars suggest that that could summarize his whole life. He went down and he saw a woman. John Corson called Samson a he-man with a she-weakness. A sexually immoral man. He goes to the city of Timnah. It's a Philistine city. He sees this girl. Oh, she's so pretty. She's so hot. She's so beautiful. I wonder. Mom, Dad, go get her. Hulk-like woman. Woman, please, Hulk, right? And his parents, rightly so, say, what about marrying from among our people? And that's a huge concern. Folks, it was a sin for a Jewish person to intermarry with the pagan nation. This was sinful. This was not a good decision. And yet Samson, I don't care, I want it. And so his parents will go through with it. Now in verse 4, when it says that this was from the Lord, understand that this wasn't God approving of Samson's sinful decision. God will use the folly of Samson to inflict a whole lot of chaos upon the Philistines. But here we see him. I want this girl. So they begin to make arrangements for the wedding. Verse 5. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the what? Vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. So him and his parents, they go to Timnah, they're going to arrange the wedding, Samson gets separated, and he goes to a vineyard. Why would a Nazarite go to a vineyard? What do you find in vineyards? Grapes. Being very careless here. 
Like the guy who says, I don't want to drink, but goes to a bar. Why tempt yourself? And then we're given an example of how incredibly strong this guy could be. He's attacked by a lion. He rips that lion in half. Doesn't tell anybody about it. And look what happens as the story continues. Verse 7. Then he went down and talked with the woman. And she pleased Samson well. After some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some of, to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of a lion. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not attracted to dead animals. When I pass by a dead animal on the highway, I don't pull over. To go check it out. This guy wants to go back to the carcass of the lion that he's killed. And then he notices that there's a beehive in the body of this dead lion. He finds honey. He reaches in and he grabs it. And he eats it. And he takes some of it home to his parents and gives them a taste. It's crazy. By the way, he has just broken one of the commandments of the Nazarite vow, right? Which is, don't eat anything unclean. So this is just a blatant disregard, you know? How could anybody just blatantly disregard a clear commandment of the Lord? Verse 10. So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there for young men used to do so. So this is the wedding feast. This is kind of like a bachelor party, wedding feast combined. And I draw your attention to the word feast there in verse 10. It's a Hebrew word that means literally, I drink. I drink. This was a seven-day feast, and if following the tradition of the Philistines who were there, this was a seven-day drunk fest. Samson, partying. Okay, we are in just the first ten verses of his career. And look what's happened. He's eating food that's unclean. He's getting drunk with the best of them. And he's sexually immoral. By the way, those last two. Sexual immorality and drunkenness. Those are biggies, aren't they? Those seem to be the temptations that so many people struggle with. It is those sins that take down so many people. Including Christians. Be so careful, my friends, when it comes to those things. 
Okay, I just want to sum up a little more of what happens with Samson. So here he is at his wedding party. He has 30 Philistines there. He will play a game with these guys. He'll give them a riddle. And he says, if you can answer my riddle, um, then I'll make sure each one of you gets a brand new suit, new garments, all 30 of you. If you can't answer my riddle, then you have to give me 30 new suits. All right? He gives them a riddle that is impossible for them to figure out. It involves the lion that he killed and the honey that he found in the lion. So it's an impossible riddle. These Philistine men, they try their best to solve it. They know they can't. So they eventually go to his wife-to-be and they say, coax the answer out of Sammy. And so she goes and she says, or else they threaten her. If you don't, we'll burn you and your father. So she goes and she says, Samson, please tell me the riddle. And, And he finally gives it up. And then they give him the answer. And then he knows he's betrayed. He gets all upset. Hulk gets mad. Hulk smash. So he owes them 30 garments. He goes to another Philistine city, Ashkelon. And he kills 30 Philistines, takes their suits, brings them back to Timnah. Here's your suits. Trouble is, when he gets back, the dad has given his wife-to-be to be married to the best man in his wedding. Hulk mad. Hulk smash. He's going to get even. You follow the story, and he somehow captures 300 foxes, jackals. Pairs them up, ties their tails together, puts a torch, attaches, sets them loose in the grain field. Destroys all the grain of the Philistines. The Philistines retaliate by burning his wife-to-be and her father to death. Hulk is mad. Hulk smash. He slaughters many of the Philistines. Right there in Timnah. Then he runs away and he's a refugee. And then the Philistines start harassing the Israelites, the uh, tribe of Judah to be specific. They get upset. They say, what's the deal? And they say, well, we're after Samson. So Samson's own people go find him. And they deliver him into the hands of the Philistines, bound. He breaks his binds picks up the jawbone of a donkey and kills a thousand more Philistines. So understand, Samson is doing a whole lot of damage to the Philistines. He is a nuisance. He is a thorn in their flesh. God is using him to create all kinds of chaos in the nation of the Philistines. However, Samson the man is a mess. He's a mess. He's not, he has no discipline. Sexually immoral. Drunkenness. Partaking of unclean food. Add to that unbridled anger. Here's a man of rage. And add to that a man more concerned with personal revenge 
He never really sees himself as doing the Lord's work. He's always revenging himself. And add to that that he's not a leader. Never once in the career of Samson do you ever find him rallying the troops to join together to fight the Philistines. No, not Samson. He's a one-man show. He's a lone ranger. He has absolutely zero accountability. And he will get progressively worse. Progressively reckless. Skip over to chapter 16. Look at verse 1. It says, Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a what? A harlot there and went into her. Now this is incredibly reckless. Gaza is a Philistine stronghold. And Samson, I'm going to go into the city. All by himself. You see that Samson pushes the limit. Let me see how far can I get. Let me... Let me Let me get more and more risky. Goes inside the city of Gaza. And then he goes to a prostitute. He has still not conquered his sexual passion. And now he finds himself with a prostitute. Guys, listen. My brothers, listen. You have got to get control of that. I have sat across the table with men, Christian men, who never got control, and they weep, saying, I never believed I could go down this dark path. Never could have believed I would see a prostitute. That's Samson. And he almost gets killed. Verse 2 says, when the Gazites were told Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night saying, in the morning when it's daylight, we will kill him. So he is surrounded. They're going to kill him dead in the morning. Verse 3, Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. That's strong man. God in his grace, again, delivers Samson. And that, you know, that could describe his whole 20 years. Let me push it to the edge. Let me try. Let me go as far as I can. And still, in God's grace, he's using them. And protecting him. But eventually there comes an end to that. Eventually you meet your match. And Samson will meet his match. He'll meet a woman. The third woman. One of the most notorious women in all of scripture. Right out there, right up there in the ranks with Queen Jezebel. Do you know who this woman is? you know what her name is? 
Delilah. Comes from the Hebrew word Dalal, which means to weaken, to impoverish. Now, he keeps toying around with all this stuff, and he's going to meet his match, and this woman is going to destroy him. Look what it says in verse 4. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. I draw your attention to where he met Delilah, in the valley of Sorek. You know what Sorek means? Choice vine. Where did he meet Delilah? In a vineyard. The ancient equivalent of a nightclub. Still hanging out at nightclubs. Still hanging out at bars. He meets this beautiful woman and he falls in love with her. She is bad news. Verse 5 says, And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him. Find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Understand, Delilah never loved Samson. Never. Delilah uses Samson. Her goal is to exploit Samson. Oh, I can make some money. 1,100 pieces of silver. Wow. Times however many lords there were. She could have made a big amount of money there. And that's what she wants to do. Guys, listen to me carefully. There are women like Delilah in this world. There are women that target men. Rich men. Godly men. Christian men, family men. There are women that specifically go after men to gain financial wealth. So a woman goes to this guy and they have an affair and then she bribes them. Or maybe the affair is exposed and this person is well known so she tells her story to the tabloids. They make a Hollywood movie. They write a book. She makes a killing. You don't toy with that. And the same is true for my sisters in Christ. There's men out there that will exploit you. You don't mess with that. I read of a scam that um, was making life very miserable for some guys on Facebook. Young, sexy girls were becoming friends with guys. Hey, you want to be my friend? And the guy says, yeah, I'll be your friend. And they end up having chat discussions, and it gets flirtatious, and it gets sexual. And the young lady pretended, oh, I just love you so much. Send a picture. And so the guy sends a picture. few days later, the guy gets an email. I have a record of all of our chats and the picture. I'm going to show your wife. 
I'm going to show all the people in your life unless you'll give me $50,000. There's people like that out there, folks. You have to safeguard your life sexually. Choose to live a pure, godly, holy life. Nurture your marriage. Protect yourself. Speaking at a conference for church leaders, American pastor Rick Holland said, The consequences of immorality are inevitable and unavoidable. When it comes to sexual sin, it is payday someday. People talk. Husbands find out. Reporters snoop. Pregnancies happen. Diseases spread. And guilt intensifies. Safeguard your life. Don't be like Samson. Animalistic Samson. Oh, look at her. I want her. Delilah destroys him. Look at verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, Please... Sunny honey bunny, tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire, so the secret of his strength was not known. Now, Samson thinks this is all a silly little game. They're teasing each other. Oh, show me your strength. What could I tie you up with? And he says, Bowstrings. Silly, weak little vines, little tender vines. So she's probably thinking that must be some kind of a mystical thing, that it's a charm. If he puts this whatever around him, that it will break the spell of his strength or whatever. But he does it. She binds him and he just breaks it. Now, understand, the Philistines don't show themselves. They're hiding They're not going to show themselves if he breaks free. Because this happens multiple times. Samson would be some kind of stupid if he allows this to keep going. He thinks it's a game. She's trying to trap him. And there are real Philistines ready to pounce. He doesn't know that. Verse 10, then Delilah said to Samson, look, you've mocked me and told me lies. Now, please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said, if they bind me securely with new ropes. So now he's bound with new ropes. Same thing. Breaks them. Doesn't work. Verse 13, Delilah said to Samson, until now you've mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, now watch this. If you weave the seven locks of my, what? My head into the web of the loom. Okay. He's breaking down, isn't he? He's getting closer now. 
Uh, bowstrings, ropes, hair. Weave my hair into a, a web from the loom. Verse 14, so she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. Didn't work. Verse 15, then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. The enemy will not stop. The temptation will not stop unless you leave. Unless you leave. Verse 17. He told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Oh, Samson. Oh, buddy. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he's told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in her hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees, called for a man, had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Isn't that so sad? Then the Philistines, verse 21, took him and put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters. And he became a grinder in the prison. They blinded him. They took out his eyes. They gouged out his eyes. Sunlight has become darkness. The guy is supposed to be a light to his generation. Living in darkness. They bind him. He grinds. You know what that means? He was tied to a stick, which was attached to a big rock. And he'd go round and round while the big stone ground grain there. Usually donkeys did that kind of work. Picture him daily going round and round and round, blind, grinding. Folks, that is where... Please understand, this is where sin leads. It's very serious. An undisciplined life, like the life of Samson, leads to a blinding, a binding, and a grinding. And like Samson, a person thinks, hey, I'm getting along with it for so, you know, I'm getting away with it. But 
Bible says you reap what you sow. Here's what we need to understand about the life of Samson. Please understand this. It was a life of self-destruction. He self-destructed. Satan didn't beat Samson. Demons didn't beat Samson. The world didn't beat Samson. The Philistines didn't beat Samson. Samson beat Samson. He self-destructed. He brought all this upon himself. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28 says, Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. That was Samson. No discipline over his own spirit. And it destroyed him. And it will destroy people no matter how much God has blessed a person with. Self-destruction. And it's sad. It happens. It's very common. You know, I was reading uh, this week about the story of Johnny Manziel. How many of you heard of Johnny Manziel? They call him Johnny Football. Do you know that he was raised, born and raised in a Christian family? And God gifted him with incredible athletic abilities. This man became the quarterback at Texas A&M. He is the first freshman ever to have won the Heisman Trophy, the Manning Award, and the Davy O'Brien National Quarterback Award. Amazing man. Had an amazing career. Drafted by the Cleveland Browns, went into the NFL. Had everything. And he self-destructed. He got into drugs. He got into partying. He got arrested. He got a record. He abused his girlfriend. He's been in prison. The Cleveland Browns let him go saying, and I quote, we are so done with Johnny football. His father, Paul, told ESPN, and I quote, he's a druggie. It's not a secret that he's a druggie. Hopefully he doesn't die before he comes to his senses. I mean, I hate to say it, but I hope he goes to jail. I mean, that would be the best place for him. I'm doing my job, and I'm going to move on. If I have to bury him, I'll bury him. Why? Why? He's only 24 years old. Let's keep praying. Let's pray for that young man. Huh? Maybe he'll finally come to his senses. But it's a series of choices that a person makes. Please understand this tonight. Every one of us in this room is capable of self-destructing. We all have enemies as Christians. Satan is our enemy. Demons are our enemies. 
The world is our enemy. But your worst enemy can be you. Never underestimate the threat within. Be mindful, my brother and sister in Christ. And be disciplined. Do what's right. Stay close to the Lord. Live in obedience to the Lord. Hold on to him. Don't ever leave him. We desperately need him, don't we? Continue to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, growing as a Christian is like riding a bike uphill. Once you stop pedaling, what happens? You stop moving and eventually you start rolling backwards. Don't ever stop pedaling. Safeguard your life. Hold on to Jesus. Well, God is a God of tremendous grace, though, isn't he? Samson blows it so big time, but God will still use this man right there at the end of his life. Very quickly, look what we read in verse 22. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. That's positive, right? Now, remember, his strength doesn't come from his hair. This is symbolic. This is saying, as he's in that cell, blind, grinding away, he's thinking about his life. He's repenting. He's turning to the Lord. Verse 23, now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, our god is delivered into our hands, Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God is delivered into our hands, our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry, they said, Call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them, and they stationed him between the pillars. Now there's another thing about when you fail miserably as a Christian like Samson did, you give the enemy opportunity to gloat. You give the enemy opportunity to glow. The name of God is dragged through the mud. So they stationed him between the pillars. Verse 26. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me fill the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord saying, Oh, Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, oh God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. It was such a good prayer till that last part, right? This is a very heartfelt prayer. You can tell he's, he's broken. But even at the end, I, they took my eyes out. Give me strength. 
Verse 29, and Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, braced himself against them on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might. And the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. His greatest success was at his death. But God is a God of grace, isn't he? Receiving Samson back. Using him there at the end. But still, what could have been? What could have been with Samson? Samson has been called the greatest that never was. The greatest that never was. What would his life have been like? Had he honored the Lord? Had he took those disciplines seriously? How much more would God have used him? We want to be men and women who are used to the max. To be fruitful. To be safe. To be protected. Let's learn the lesson. And remember, my brother and sister in Christ, it's these little compromises in life that build. You see it in the life of Samson. He toys sexually till finally it ends. He's in a vineyard first. Then he goes into all of the drunkenness. Little by little. Little by little. Know the threat. Be aware of it. Let our lives be safeguarded. Still, God's grace is amazing, isn't it? You might be here tonight and maybe you feel, man, I'm, I'm Samson. I've been Samson for many years. Maybe you're living the life of a Samson right now. Maybe tonight is a huge warning from the Lord to you that you need to take serious. Take it serious. But maybe you are. Maybe you're living that life and maybe you've got a whole lot of issues as a result. Listen, it's never too late to turn to God. Even when you're in a prison grinding, it's never too late to turn to God. And he can take your life and he can redeem and salvage What's the rest? What's left with the rest of your life? But turn to him quickly. Lord, we need your strength. We need to be close to you. Lord, I want to pray for everyone in this room, myself included that we would take steps in life to safeguard our lives. Lord, that we would seek you daily.
Lord, that we would choose to obey you, even when it's hard. Lord, safeguard marriages. Safeguard relationships and parenting relationships. Lord, I do pray that as your people, we would not be lone ranger people, that we would be heavily engaged in your body, that we might be accountable, that we'd have brothers and sisters surrounding our lives as support. Father, I want to pray for anyone here tonight who needs to come back. Come back tonight. The Lord will take you back. The Lord can restore you. He will restore you. Maybe your prayer needs to be tonight just simply this. Lord, I want to come back. Forgive me for my foolish decisions. Restore me. Put me back on that safe, that safe pathway. Be the voice in my life that matters the most. That I might follow you and obey you. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for all the chances you give us. Thank you for the many blessings that you pour out upon your people and that you long for us to be fruitful. Lord, may we just cooperate with you. Lord, that we would just be surrendered to you. Following you. In Jesus' name, amen.